Good morning from Northern California. We are on to the next piece of The Lady in Gold. The Extraordinary Tale of Gustav Klimt's Masterpiece. Portrait of Adele Blockbar. Written by Anne-Marie O'Connor. We are about a page 140 and it's the title. I think I'm just going to do one section, maybe two, let's see, no, probably just the one. The Autograph Hunter. Like the Blockbauers, many of Adele's old friends stayed too long. We're going to have to leave, Berta Zuckerkondel told her teenage grandson, Emil, one afternoon in February 1938. As she prepared for a salon in her apartment across from the Berg Theater, you're exaggerating, grandmother. Good-looking Emil replied, smiling, laying, lying cozily on her sofa as freezing sleet fell outside. Everything will blow over. Emil lived part-time with Berta on Opelgas, above the Café Lantman, where Freud once took his morning coffee. It was a five-minute walk to Elisabeth Strass and Berta's friend, Ferdinand. Blockbar. Ferdinand provided financial help to Bertha's sister-in-law, Amelie Zuckerkandel, who had been in her own, been on her own nearby since her husband divorced her, for an actress. Amelie's arresting, but unfinished Klimt portrait, with bare shoulders and upturned face, hung in Ferdinand's bedroom. Emile, 16, spent the rest of his time at the Zuckerkandel's enormous Perkersdorf Sanatorium on the outskirts of Vienna. Joseph Hoffman had designed the main building for Emile's late uncle, Victor Zuckerkandel, an industrialist. Emile's family lived in a splendid villa, or via, lived in a splendid villa with a foyer dominated by an enormous Klimt painting. Mon Wies, of a lush poppy field with the bright red blooms of an Austrian summer. Close by was the Schloss of Serena, an August, an August letterer, where Emil admired their statue of a Chinese dragon in the foyer and their delicately pretty daughter, Elizabeth the wife of the beer baron Wolfgang Bakofen Echt. Berta's salon were still filled with intellectuals. Alma Mailer had come with Gustav Mailer and Walter Gropius, and now she brought Franz Werf Werfel. Felix Stalton, excuse me, Felix Sultan came and Bertolt Brecht. Albert Einstein dropped by Bertha's salon after he'd fled, fled the rise of Hitler in Germany. Any nonsense can attain importance by virtue of being believed by millions of people, Einstein wrote ruefully in Emily's... I'm sorry, I'm not doing so well. Let me take a sip of coffee. Mm. Okay, let's go back to that line. Any nonsense can attain importance by virtue of being believed by millions of people, 
Einstein wrote ruefully in Emile's autograph book. The writer and cultural critic Egon Friedel thoughtfully wrote Emile, Emile a critique of materialism. If humans now that at long last it has become obvious that money is dirt do not understand that money is dirt, they do not deserve for money to be dirt, Friedel wrote. For email, Zuckerdahl Kondel, the magnificent grandson of a magnificent grandmother, wrote Fritz Grunbaum, Vienna's Groucho Marx. So, you are an autograph hunter, wrote Karl Mahl, Alma Mahler's, or Mailer's stepfather. So young and already so corrupted, do you know where this could lead? To become a cutthroat vandal is no doubt the least. And I am supposed to share this responsibility? Well, Bertha already has more than that on her conscience. Reform yourself. <laughs> Julius Bauer, the portly poet of Blockbauer Weddings, wrote that Emil was a descendant of a noble lineage. Your grandfather was a great man. The question of race never blocked his genius. Today that sounds like a fairy tale. You, too, even in the folly of today, will get over that dam. French celebrity explorer Lucien Adouin Dubriel urged Emile to take notes every day. One will always forget the days passing in the midst of the effort and the beauty of the present day and the hope of the unforeseen in the days to come. Emile started a diary. Adele's old friend, Stefan Zweig, had a few glasses of wine one night and scribbled, Has not everything that we give already lost its way when it is not transformed into help or love? How could they possibly give up this lovely existence? Emile asked Bertha that day in April 1938. Bertha smiled at her tall grandson named for her husband, the late anatomist. She had high hopes for Emil. At her salon that night, everyone talked about Hitler's latest hateful rally. Her kind remembrance of the speech of Hitler, a writer, Walter Mehring, wrote sarcastically in Emil's book, Now, Hitler was coming. The sky was blue and cloudless. Emil walked down to the highway. Who were all these people? They pushed up to the roadside, cheering and throwing roses at German troops, weeping with joy. Finally, a roar went through the crowd, high above the multitude. Hitler stood, Hitler stood in his car with his hand outstretched. I'll, the crowd shouted chanted, sorry. <laughs> Hitler passed very close to Emil, his car moving slowly. If I had a gun, I could kill him, Emil thought. A few days later, armed men pulled up to the Perkerstoff sanatorium. Emil's mother was in bed, recovering from a hysterectomy. Emil went upstairs to tell her the men were searching the house. She closed her eyes and sighed. She asked Emile to bring her a robe. Burn your diary, she whispered weakly. 
burn it? Emil locked the bathroom door and regretfully held a match to his journal of the year leading up to the Anschluss. Anschluss, fanning the smoke out the window, the men came into the bedroom and his mother pointed to the drawer where she hid her jewelry. One man paused before Klimt's poppy field hanging over the Steinway piano and studied the exuberant blooms. He pulled it off the wall. Many of Bertha's friends, like Felix Salton, had already fled. Salton knew that men who would burn Bambi were capable of far worse. Bertha showed up to take refuge in the sanatorium, joined by her friend Egon Friedel. Friedel was distraught, and he walked the grounds with Bertha, berating himself. Friedel had once suggested that benevolent dictatorship, as in ancient Greece, could diffuse modern tensions. Berta had argued that a dictatorship without a gospel of hatred is impossible. Friedel had insisted that the enlightened dictator should be a man who had never known hatred, and so he was doubly unhappy when history made him realize his error. When Hitler became a dicta when Hitler became dictator of Germany. Now Austria was in the grip of this destructive man, whose gospel of hatred demanded scapegoats. Friedel felt guilty. Even anti-Nazi intellectuals like himself had frittered away precious time in the world of culture, disdainfully leaving the sordid business of government to hack politicians who had ushered in this fratricidal present. One has to pay for one's sins, Friedel kept repeating to Berta. A few days later at his apartment, Friedel heard a loud knocking in the hall. It was the Gestapo. Friedel thought they were coming for him. He walked to his open window and dove out to his death. I think I'm going to read the next piece. Stealing Beauty. Klimt's mosaic of Jewish patrons and friends would be pried apart piece by piece by men incapable of creating beauty but determined to steal it. The plunder of the families who gave Vienna its luster would not be engineered by mobs. It would be carried out by well-dressed gentlemen with pretensions to genteel respectability. On the cold morning of January 28, 1939, an eminent group of Austrian art curators gathered at Ferdinand's elegant Elisabethstrasse palace to divide up Ferdinand and Adele's art. Like many Aryanizations, this one had a flimsy legal pretext. A, cr a trumped-up tax charge against Fernand's sugar factory. But it hardly mattered. The Blockbauers were now exiles. They were free to scatter Fernand's collection like a smashed pinata. It might appear unseemly for academic art lovers to lend their expertise to the bizarre mix of law, eugenics, and thievery called Aaronization. Yet these learned men eagerly fought for the chance to, become, to come to Elisabethstrasse to choose art for Hitler's monument to Germanic culture. The furtherism, the fur museum 
in Linz, Austria, that would be the jewel in the crown of the thousand-year Reich. Art was not just an interest for Hitler. It was an obsession, and these men wished to ingratiate themselves with his new regime. Art curators had always had a symbiotic relationship with moneyed elites. The new elites just happened to be Nazis. These men didn't think of themselves as thieves. They thought of themselves as a distinguished gathering, though their incriminate, sorry, they thought of themselves as, dis, as a distinguished gathering, though their discriminating aesthetic sensibilities would be used to bolster Nazi conceits. They were men with precisely the kind of imperious self-regard that Klimt had detested. <clears throat> Not only were they accommodating Hitler, they were endorsing the Fuhrer's rejection of the world's brilliant modern art, a betrayal of their profession. Worse, some of the treasures they pulled out of Viennese collections would be sold for a more nefarious aim, to finance Hitler's assault on Europe. Since the day of the Ausschluss, the confiscation of Vienna's vast Jewish art collections had become an irresistible opportunity for career advancement and financial gain. Thousands of Jews were fleeing the city voluntarily or by force, wrote a young art, art historian, Walter Frodo, who had joined the Nazi party as a student in 1933. Before finishing the, next, the necessary paperwork, they had to apply for an export permit for their artworks. The few functionaries at the office had to work day and night. Frodo spent weeks that summer and fall in Vienna, driving through the boroughs by cab. I found this whole job rather disgusting. It was not just about visiting big houses and collections. But every, depart every apartment had to be inspected, even if the artwork was just a cheap carpet, a piece of embroidery, or a photo photograph of the grandparents. Now a meticulous team of art appraisers would sift through the collections of Ferdinand and Adele. The, men, the man sent to evaluate Ferdinand's porcelain was one of his old friends, Richard Ernst, who had helped persuade Ferdinand to pay the bills for the Kokoschka exhibition in 1937. Ernst had insinuated himself into the Elizabeth Strauss mansion in 1925 to write an admiring illustrated monograph about Ferdinand's porcelain. Now he could get his hands on, this, on the porcelain itself. Leopold Ruprecht, represented the Vienna Art History Museum, the Kunsthistorische at the meeting, though he knew, had, sorry, though he would soon start working for Hitler's Fur Museum. The Federal Mon Monument Office, which oversaw art confiscations, sent Joseph Seiken and Waltrude Oberwalder, who would list works they coveted as Austrian patrimony to be banned for export so their owners could not take them out of the country. Vienna art institutions had turned out to be more corrupt than Klimt had ever imagined. The dream of a new Austrian gallery at the Belvedere was extinguished. 
Adele's old friend, Belvedere director Franz Martin Haberdietzel, was tainted by his association with degenerate artists and his Jewish ties. His wife's Jewish heritage meant his daughter was also in danger. Haberdietzel was abruptly dismissed and banned from contact with museum staff. His Jewish deputy, Heinrich Schwartz, relieved of his duties for racial reasons, fled the country. In, his fearful, in this fearful climate, Haberdietzel's second deputy, Bruno Grimschitz, won a promotion to a post he might never have attained on merit. Grimschitz, who now flaunted the fact that he had been a Nazi party member, even when it was illegal, was named the new director of the Austrian gallery. Grimschitz stood in the Belvedere Gardens wearing a black suit with a bow tie, a white pocket handkerchief, and a very pleased smile. He closed the modern gallery, which had been recreated by Haberdietzel and his visionary patrons. Later, he would claim he had wanted to protect the art from being seized as degenerate and auctioned off. For now, Grimschitz would display art that was in keeping with Hitler's definition of Germanic Volkish identity. The Austrian gallery's new mission was quite different from the original one. Kajetin Mulman, a Nazi aesthete, sorry, let me go back over this. Kajetin Mulman, a Nazi aesthete, who inspected Aaronized property to collect art for Hitler, had been given an apartment at the Belvedere. He has no conscience. He does not care about art. He is a liar and a vile person, an allied interrogator would one day say of Molman. For now, one of his first tasks was to pick through Bernard Altman's art collection, more than a hundred works by Klimt, Degas, Canaletto, and Waldmuller that had been turned over by Maria's minder, Felix Landau. The fact that Jews were publicly deemed antithetical to the new Germanic cultural identity undermined any personal qualms about stealing their art. Museum officials came back to Fernand's Palais on February 22nd, and the Gestapo's Air Maloc stood by as officials began what Karl Wagner, the director of Stadich Sammlungen, called a negotiation between agencies. Museum officials tried to identify paintings that they could use to jockey for position with Hitler. As the men walked through Fernandad's drafty mansion, they spotted paintings that would be perfect for the Führer's Reserve, or Führer Behalt, Hitler's personal art stash, a collection of all the beautiful things Hitler coveted, but had been denied as a poor artist in Vienna. Hitler's conservative taste in art was well known. Two Rudolf von Alt paintings were selected from Fernandad's collection for Hitler's ongoing Alt Aktion, a Nazi grab of von Alt's work. Next came Fernandad's dynastic, dynastic Waldmuller of Count Esterhazy as a boy. Rodin's bronze allegory of liberty was picked for the Fur Museum. A tapestry was chosen and two more Waldmullers. 
Elizabeth Strauss was a gold mine. Some of the best paintings in Fernandad's collection would be given away to cement relationships. Hermann Goring, his wife supposedly wore Adele's diamond necklace, would be flattered with four Blockbauer Waldmullers for Christmas. Children with a vat of grapes, young girl with a dog, old woman with children, and after the fire. Fernandad's porcelain would be passed out to museums like party favors, and the remaining pieces would go to public auction. The, mo the men mostly ignored the Klimps. They eyed Klimps' 1903 birch trees indifferently. They barely gl glanced at the portrait of the older Adele with stained teeth and didn't even jump at the go golden portrait of Adele. The fur wanted paintings that celebrated German values, not portraits of decadent Jewish society women, who were now officially referred to by the ugly term Judensau or Jewish Sau. Klimt was not even on the list of artists whose work was too important to leave the country. Excited by their loot, the curators left the mansion without the Blockbauer Klimt collection. Hitler, once excluded from the Vienna art world, now controlled it absolutely, and everyone felt his influence, from dispossessed collectors to the most prominent Vienna artists. As Vienna's Jewish collections were plundered, plans were made to dispose of the degenerate art seized from museums with a public auction. Oskar Kokoschka had 400 of his works confiscated. From exile in England, he railed to Alma Mailer about Hitler. Momentarily, Lord of the World, who has begun out of resentment to hunt artists because he himself failed to make it. Karl Moll, Alma Mahler's, Alma Mahler's stepfather, the secessionist painter whom Kokoschka had once called my best friend in Austria, now embraced Nazism. He chastised Kotskoschka for his intransigence. I would like to do something to help you, but your politics make it impossible, Moll wrote from Vienna. America is the only place for you now. There are 75 million people, Mal wrote, referring to the population of the Third Reich, and, that the and the fact that some people get trampled. What does it mean? Has this not always happened? And by the way, Mal added, Uncle Fernandad has left Vienna without saying goodbye. And that's where we will end today. The next chapter or chapters coming, because I think I'll do another couple few here, will be the last of the Blockbauers, Homecoming, and Fur. Those will be next. Thanks for listening. I'm hoping you're enjoying the story. It seems to be getting a little more deep now into what's actually happened to the art, so that's fascinating to me. All right, take good care, and we'll talk soon.